are so many amazing perks of being sober. And one of my favorites is that sobriety allows us to take self-care to the next level. And it gives us such a sense of confidence. There's really nothing like feeling confident in your own skin. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about today's sponsor, One Skin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy while looking and feeling your best. I've told you about how when I got sober, one of my favorite things was starting a skincare routine because that was not something I ever prioritized before. But let's be honest, knowing what the best skincare routine is can be a little overwhelming. That's why I'm excited about One Skin. There's no complicated routine, no multiple step protocols, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code HAPPIEST at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code HAPPIEST. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support my show and tell them I sent you. You guys know I'm all about making our lives as easy as possible in sobriety. Well, you can eat stress-free this spring with Factor Meals, and they're offering my listeners 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month with code HAPPIEST50. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted and dietitian approved You can choose from a weekly menu of 35 options plus more than 60 different add-ons. What I love so much about Factor is that I've never been someone who makes time for cooking, but with Factor, I have delicious meals ready to go and on the table in just two minutes so I can get back to doing what I want with my time without the hassle of any prep, cooking, or cleanup, a total godsend. Factor is also celebrating Earth Day all month long, so look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for their lowest carbon footprint meals. Head to factormeals.com slash happiest50 and use code happiest50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. That's code happiest50 at factormeals.com slash happiest50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Happiest Sober Podcast. I have an amazing episode for you today. Um, this week, I'm chatting with Courtney Anderson. If you follow her on Instagram, then you might know her as Sober Vibes. But oh my God, this was honestly such a fun conversation because Courtney and I have so much in common. Our stories are very similar. We both got sober towards the end of our 20s. We both drank for 10 years before we got sober. We both have alcoholism in our families. We both have a sober mom that we get to bond with over sobriety. Um, So it was just, it was such a great conversation with her. We're going to get to hear all about Courtney's story. We also have a really, really good chat about motherhood and sobriety. So if you are a mom, then you're definitely going to take away so, so much from this chat. Also, we recorded this episode a couple months back now, and since then, Courtney's book, Sober Vibes, has come out, which is very exciting, so definitely make sure to pick up your copy, Um, but this was such a great episode. I'm so, so excited to be putting it out today, and with that being said, I won't make you wait any longer to hear it, so here is my chat with Courtney. Hi, Courtney. Hi, how are you? (laughs) Good, how are you? I'm very happy to be here today to talk to you. Oh, I'm happy to have you. Thanks so much for coming on. You are welcome. And thank you for coming on my show because we had a great talk and we spent a lot of the time too at the end talking about Vanderpump. It was like in the height of Scandaval (laughs) that Mm -hmm. I came on your podcast. And when we realized that we both watched it, it has Mm -hmm. to be discussed. (laughs) Yes, because that was quite entertaining for a couple months. 
It was. It still is. It's still. It's still going. I feel it's died down a lot, but still, still going. Um. Anyways, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're here. Remind me, how long have you been sober? What's your sober date? My sober date is August 18th of 2012. So in about a month and a couple of days, I will be 11. Amazing. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. Okay. So tell me, give me a little bit of background about kind of like your drinking days and what sort of led you to getting sober. Yeah. So my, in my drinking days, I was an animal. Like I was a complete mess. It didn't start off like that. I started very innocently at 19, uh, living in the, the suburbs of Detroit over, we could go over to Windsor. And of course the drinking age in Canada is 19. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, I, we went over there and I, it was just like love at first sip, you know, and I fell in love with the bar scene and going out and getting ready to go out and being able to flirt with dudes that I wasn't comfortable doing with sober, you know, it really right. let me alcohol really brought me out of my shell. And from 19 to 25, it was cool. But as the years progressed, it got uh, darker and darker. Cause I don't think nobody starts off to be like, I'm going to have a drinking problem. It doesn't, it doesn't start (laughs) off that way for people. Mm -hmm. But by 25, I knew in my soul that there was going to be one day that I needed to quit drinking just because the years had gone by where it was like more blacking out, more Mm -hmm. waking up in hospitals, not knowing how I got there, just making terrible decisions in my drinking being right because sober I wouldn't make those decisions so from 25 to 29 years old I really tried to quote unquote moderate um you know the word moderation and moderation drinking was not mainstream like it is today so I was trying to to make something work that no longer did you know I put rules on my drinking no shots Mm -hmm no more red wine. You can't drink dirty martinis anymore. Like you need to eat because we know when you don't eat, that's the problem. Um, and eventually it all led me back to the same place. So at 29, I was about six weeks shy of being uh, 30. And at 29, I had like my final night of drinking where I had lost my rescue cat for the second time. And, uh, my boy, my, I know, she has been found, but, um, <laughs> and my boyfriend at the time, he was like, we were living together. We were like a year and a half in. And he was like, look, you can continue drinking, but I'm not, I'm not going to be on this ride with you anymore. So for three days, I laid in a terrible hangover. And in that hangover, there was a lot, it was almost like the 10 years of the guilt and shame caught up with me. It had always been there, but it was like a compound effect of just hitting me in those couple of days. Um, and I made a pact with the universe and I said, Hey, you know, if I find my cat, I will give up drinking. And three days later I did find my cat and oh. I have not had a drink since. Oh, that makes me so emotional. <laughs> <laughs> well, it ends a lot. Like, and she's still with me today. That boyfriend's now oh. my husband. So like, oh. Yeah. So there's a lot of, um, you know, when, when you choose to better your life, good things happen. So, so yeah. And that honestly, and this is going to probably sound like terrible, but losing my cat wasn't the worst thing that I did Mm -hmm. in my active drinking days. There were like a hundred more things that I had did that was pretty terrible. 
but it was just to that point of where I was at, where I was like, I'm tired. I went off this ride. I don't have much more to give. Mm -hmm. And I just knew that if I continued to drink that I would eventually end up dead because that's where my drinking was going. Wow. So you drink, you got sober at 29. Yes. Just about six weeks shy, shy of being 30. So you drank from 19 to 29. I drank from 17 to 27, 10 years Mm -hmm. and got sober in my Mm twenties. Wow. So you knew from 25 was when you kind of realized like you had that gut knowing I'm going to have to get sober one day. Isn't it Mm -hmm. just such a tough place to be when like, you know, that deep down and you're so not ready to face it. And Mm -hmm. you're like trying to figure this thing out. It's so, it's so scary to, to like get to that point. It was very scary because you don't know what to do, right? It's just like, okay. And then it's also too, you're giving up a big part of who you like your identity is. Yes. You put so much of your self-worth into alcohol and in the lifestyle that it brings you, whether it's good or bad, that it's, it is, it's very terrifying. And, you know, at 25, I just, I just knew I just knew it in, in my soul. And I think everybody knows at some point of time that they need to quit drinking or give it up, whatever, but it's whether you act upon it or not. Yeah. Uh Did anyone else say ever talk to you about your drinking uh, aside from your, your now husband? Um, yeah, but, but it was never the fact of like, it was never any, never type of like any interventions. It was like, it was the talk of like, you need to not drink as much. Like why, why does, you know, like, why does this happen when you drink pretty much, Mm -hmm. um, get it together, drink less, drink responsibly. Right. Um, so it, it, but yeah, but, and plus to the people who were talking to me about that, they had their own issues with, with substances. So like when somebody's mm-hmm. talking to you about that, um, and saying those things to you, and they also have an issue, you don't take anybody seriously. Right. Right. It's the fact, it's the truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how did, so you get sober at 29, what was your early sobriety like, and how did you make sense of like, cause that's pretty young. It's like the end of the last little bit of your twenties. Like, how mm-hmm. did you, how did you feel going into that? And how did you, um, how did you kind of do it? Um, I definitely was terrified going into it. And in the beginning I tried some AA, but it just was not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was hard for me to connect. My anxiety was through the roof. So for two years, I actually white knuckled it. I don't recommend that for anybody, you know, whether, Mm -hmm. whether you don't vibe with the 12 steps, there's other support options out there. And within my process of recovery, you know, I ended up seeing therapists, life Mm -hmm. coaches, mindset coaches, like digging into personal development. Um, I did go back to AA after a couple of years. Um, but those first couple months, I really had to sit still. I sat at home. I binge watched Friday night lights. And this is again, back mm-hmm. in 2012 when like streaming services and Netflix streaming just kind of started. So I had to pick a wholesome thing, a wholesome show and put a pause on the housewives for a little bit because it was too <laughs> Bravo network was too jarring for my nerves. Yeah. You know, so I had to watch some wholesome TV and I actually just sat and I crafted and made these picture frames 
but to keep my hands busy. And I went back to, um, I, I rediscovered my love of baking when I was a kid, I loved to bake. So I did that. So for my first, you know, couple months, I really, I had to sit my ass at home and get comfortable in my, um, just in my skin at being home and not being out and about and being a menace on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. So, Did you have one day one? Well, I would say I had four years of the moderation and I would go, yeah, I had four years leave from 25 to 29. I really tried to make drinking work. And I think that for my opinion, I think that's what everybody tries to do. Yeah, for sure. And it usually, I just heard, um, I just heard that it usually takes about seven years for a person to give up alcohol. Wow. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, you know, it's, it's not, I didn't sit there and I was like, all right, I'm going to try this. There would be times that I would go like three weeks without drinking. And I'm like, see, I made it. I did. <laughs> I got I, this. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a problem. So, yeah. so, but it, it just took me to that point where, yes, I haven't had a drink in almost 11 years. Yeah. So when you decided at 29 though, after you found your cat, mm-hmm. like that was the last of it, you haven't drank mm-hmm. since that day. No. Wow. Mm-hmm. So how did then, so you're starting, you're just kind of coming into your thirties, how did your social life kind of change? Like, how did you navigate that? I feel like even, you know, thinking about today, I feel like even in the last few years, pretty much since COVID, the conversations around alcohol have changed so much where I feel like it's becoming a lot more normal and kind of socially accepted to not drink. But how was that for you at that time in terms of like your social life? Um, well, I have, for me, because, so I didn't have a social life during that time mm. because I could not put myself in those situations. Um, but my social is, so it changed for me Yeah, and my social life. Then I had a friend who got sober about a, a month or two after me. And then her and I started to do like coffee dates. But I found that because I was so social for so many years and too, I was in the service industry, I bartended for so many years. I was at that point where I was exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) I did a lot in a decade of time with traveling, with going to concerts, with being out on the scene and in the scene. And, you know, my job being so social that I was like, it was a nice break. And when I transitioned out of the bar, I went into the medical field. So I was working a nine to five. Okay. And then I was, so my boyfriend and I then had to rediscover like what our relationship was going to be like, because it was no longer around Courtney's drinking problem and going out to dinner and then would mm-hmm. end up having drinks and getting shit faced and being at the bar. So him and I, like I said, those first couple months, like we did a couple dinners, but it wasn't until about three to four months in that him and I went out on a Friday night and we went into this downtown. We got a coffee. We sat on a park bench and we just like people watched. And I was like, oh my God, is this what people do on Fridays who don't have drinking problems and mm-hmm. are quote unquote like normal? Yeah. And I found so much peace in that moment where I'm like, okay, I can do this. It's just a different way of living. And then 
on building on that, then for my social life, it became where I would ask friends if they wanted to go to coffee or go to lunch or like a breakfast instead of going to those dinners. So I don't really think that people, people put a lot of focus in on the social aspect, especially as women. Mm -hmm. You can still have a social aspect. It's just got to look different. Right. So, and you have to be the one who brings it up like, Hey, you know, instead of what was, um, happy hour, can we just go to get a coffee instead? Like you would be surprised the amount, especially if the good friends, the ones who stick around with you will be like, yeah, absolutely. No problem. Right. So, so it took a couple months and then uh, around that 90 day market, definitely it, um, it changed for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you said that you white knuckled it for the first like two years. Mm-hmm. When do you think it got like, wh- what do you think shifted that? Or like, how do you think it kind of got easier and transformed over the next few years after that? Well, definitely up to that year one, all you think about for the most part, everybody's different, but this is what I thought about. Like uh, that first year, I let myself indulge in, in the treats. I, I did not shame myself for the uh, killer sugar, good <laughs> <The> for <extra> sugar <laughs> that you yeah. get. And nobody should. You you got to ride out this process Agreed. and like, uh, you know, uh, still a lot I hear on Sober Vibes. It's like, I mean, when's the sugar thing going to go away? And it's like, well, it just depends on where you are. And in that first year, I would not put uh, so much pressure on that. I'm not advocating mm-hmm. for, because one person, uh, you know, on, on Instagram was like, you're advocating for diabetes type two. And I was like, no, actually I'm not, but like, okay. So I want to say that, <laughs> like, but just don't beat yourself up with that. So that year yeah. I ate the sweets. Because whatever I needed to do to not drink in those days, cool. Then Mm -hmm. into year two, I actually then was like, okay, I got this down for most part. Like I don't, I feel very confident in after a year. And then I focused on year two on health and and, um, on fitness and nutrition. And then in year three, I was introduced to more to personal development and personal development really it was kind of the jumping point on to then diving into myself and really getting, getting more of my emotional sobriety, um, getting that down. So yeah, all process. Some people go slow. Some people go fast. It's, it's all on your timing, but yes. So, so, so yeah. So, and then, then that process, I, went back to therapy, like I said, got some coaches and still continue that process and still continue on my daily, like meditation, gratitude journal, reading personal development. I've been in and out of therapy for years because therapy is a great tool. I've hired coaches throughout the years. Like people often think too, that it's like, okay, I did that once. I don't need that again. And that's just not the case because you as an individual grow things happen (laughs) just because you stop drinking doesn't mean that like in 10 years, all of this stuff has been cured when you haven't done the work in between. Right. Right. I'm so curious about, so after you got sober, you got married and you have Mm -hmm. kids as well, right? Yep. One kid. Yep. You've had, so how was it going through those kind of life milestones as a sober person? How was the process? How was like getting married? And I always find it interesting my, cause my mom's been sober since her early twenties mm-hmm. and 
since I've been sober, we've had lots of conversations that we never would have had when mm-hmm. I was a drinker. And mm-hmm. she even talked about, even though she had so much sobriety, like under her belt, um, by the time she had kids, like really feeling that whole mommy wine culture mm-hmm. and feeling mm-hmm. kind of isolated from other moms. Like, yeah. How, how was kind of the wedding as a sober person and then like becoming a mom? Yeah. So, so we got married what was that three years in after I got sober and it was actually on that park bench that Matt said that that's new. That's when he knew um, he was going to marry me when we were sitting on that. And like, just cause he, he said he saw it that I wasn't going to go back to that old lifestyle. So mm-hmm. I will say this about the wedding. I'm so happy that I remember everything about that night. Yes. Okay? However, I was still in the mode of fa- at, at that time. I was still had that fantasy around alcohol, like drinking champagne, even though I never, it was never going to act upon it, but in the process of, and where I was at in my life and some people around me, they're like, so you're not going to have a glass of champagne at your wedding just for like a toast. And I was like, no, I can do that with non-alcoholic champagne. Like I can yeah. do that with water. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean, <laughs> so I didn't really think about it until people brought it up in that wedding uh, mm. planning process. Like, and then even to like telling the wedding planner, because uh, we live in the suburbs of Detroit and we got married in Savannah. So it was a destination wedding. So like even having to explain to her, like, I don't drink we had an uh, open bar at our, at our wedding and I had no problem with that. And um, I was like, just please make sure that the staff knows like the bride and the groom do not drink alcohol. Um, But I still romanticized it a little bit. And as the years have gone by, I don't have that fantasy about alcohol anymore. When Mm -hmm. I became a mom, so I had my son, I was 38, like a month away from being 39. And a couple months in, I was sitting there and my son wasn't a sleeper. And when I got Aww. sober, I worked really hard on getting my circadian rhythm done right. Because again, I was the bartender up till two, three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock, five partying. My sleep cycle was off. So I worked really hard and respected my sleep. So that threw me for a loop, but I will never forget. I was sitting there rocking him in the middle of the night and I was, and I got very like wonky with the fact where I was like, I was like compassionate towards women. Cause I never had that before. Cause I never understood it. I, I felt a lot of compassion towards women who turned to alcohol in motherhood. Mm-hmm. I, I saw it in that instant And then that's when like the next day I was like, okay, I got to get back to journaling. I have to get back to my personal development and meditation and like figuring out some type of sleep. And I hired a sleep coach for him. And at five months old, we got a sleep coach because that's some help and figured it out because I was like, this could go in a disastrous way. Yeah. It's so true, right? Like obviously I haven't been through it, but motherhood is such a stressful hard as much as it's a happy time. There's Mm -hmm. like, it's, it's hard. It's like your whole world kind of turns upside down and it is understandable that people who already drink use alcohol to cope with that stress. Right. And not even to like the stress of motherhood, that's a whole Mm -hmm. separate issue. But I have to say like, 
even to of what society feels like women should be doing in the postpartum time, like, oh yeah, you should go back to work after six weeks or this fourth trimester, you should feel be feeling good after three, four months. And with my postpartum experience, so um, CJ will be two on the September 1st. It honestly took me probably like a year and a half, like to finally start feeling better and where Mm -hmm. like the brain fog lifted and where like, I'm like, okay, got comfortable in my new body and then was able to start incorporating workouts. And just like, I currently in the season of my life, like walking is now another form of therapy for me. Mm -hmm. Um, so that is very hard. And then the identifying as a mother, because that's a whole new, like, trip on its own where you're like, okay, I I have this little person now, like now I have to take on this identity and it's, it's wild. So I can see in that aspect too, if a woman's not feeling comfortable in her own skin because of postpartum mm-hmm. uh, and the process of it and just becoming a new mom or a mom to two or mom to three, like mm-hmm. where it would be easy to cope with alcohol too. Yeah, that's such a good point about the the identity. And I've never mm-hmm. thought about it that way. But even like you said earlier, when you got sober, that was an adjustment for your identity, which I relate to totally because I remember like grieving my mm-hmm. identity as like a drinker as like the like fun party one always down mm-hmm. to drink always has wine. Um, I could really relate to that. But yeah, I could see that like with becoming a mom that you are taking on a whole new identity. That's like another identity shift. But if you have done the one, the grieving, the old drinking self, which is amazing to do Mm -hmm. and and understanding that process, then when this shift happens, you can recognize it and be like, okay, because all it does is it, it comes back to just acceptance. Like, okay, this is, this is who I am now. And maybe it was harder for me because I had him later in life where it was like, oh, okay. And then also too, like I was, and I, I worked outside of the house. Like I was a worker outside of the house for a very long time. So then you, you put me back in, you put me into this stay at home mom position mm-hmm. where it's like, whoa, <laughs> like, holy moly, what is happening here? So yes, but you just have to keep working on that identification. Do you find yourself thinking a lot about like going through motherhood, thinking like, oh my God, if I was drinking, this would be so much harder. I'd be doing this right now. Or I'd be like, I was on, I was on the uh, FaceTime. My sister FaceTimes her nephew every day at lunch. (laughs) And and she was like, Courtney, she goes, could you imagine? I said, don't even say it. And she's like, what? I go, I know what you're going to say. And I said, yeah, you're going to say, could you imagine if I was still drinking? And the answer is no, Mm -mm. I could not because it just, it, it wouldn't be the mom that I wanted. I want to show up for him. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I know too, even when I got sober, my husband and I had many conversations back then of like, we want to break the cycle of alcoholism and addiction with us. We don't want our future child to ever experience what we experienced in the simple fact of being very present parents, because when you're drinking and have an issue with alcohol, you're not, 
and kids know. So I'm just very grateful that we stopped that generational trauma. Wow. Did, did your husband, um, quit drinking when you got sober, like out of solidarity? Yes. He never had, he never, he never had an issue, but at the time he was just like, he would have two beers and then be very hungover the next Mm. day. So, so he never had a problem. He was just at the point, like in his early thirties, he's like, I'm just done. Like, yeah, it doesn't bring me joy anymore. Yeah. And so you grew up with alcoholism in your family, mm-hmm. your, your parent, is that part of, I wanted to ask, cause 19, I feel is kind of later to start drinking. Yes. Like did, did your parents drinking play a role in why you didn't drink for yeah, then, or? yeah. Well, with my, my family history with alcoholism and mental health, um, on both sides of my family, it, and then um, trickled down into siblings. Like I just saw it and I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to go down that route. Like, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I drank probably like three or four times in high school, like got violently ill one night. I'll never forget. Like I seriously was throwing up so bad off of like three cans of Bud Light. It was just <laughs> Right. But like, and then you think in my drinking days, how much I drank where I was like, good God. So yeah. So it was one of those things. I was like, I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be that. And then Mm -hmm. of course it happened. So, so yeah. Yeah. I'm always fascinated to ask people this who grew up with alcoholism in their families, because I feel like the way that that impacted my drinking, because I grew up with uh, like my mom had been sober since she was 21, but she was an alcoholic. My dad was also an alcoholic and was, was kind of in and out of rehab for a lot of my life. He's sober now, but, um, I really noticed that I, I think because of that, I carried so much more shame about my drinking. Like the very first time I ever got drunk, I was so anxious and ashamed the next day. And like looking back now, I think it's just because I had grown up with so much awareness around it. So Mm -hmm. I almost like had these maybe higher expectations of myself or thinking like I should know better and feeling like, oh my God, I've done something so bad by getting drunk when then, Mm -hmm. you know, kept doing it anyway. But yeah. How do you think that kind of played into your relationship with alcohol? Well, and, and that's the thing of what you said. It's like the more awareness you have. And that's when people get sober, when they, you know, when mm-hmm. in the period of those couple of years that it takes somebody to finally be like, I'm done. It's because you have awareness each time, yeah. you know, and you have these long periods of awareness and you just know where it's like, you know, better. There was, no, there was a time I smoked crack and I was sitting there and I had a guy friend who was, he's sober now, but he was a pig himself, but he looked at me because he didn't smoke crack. And he looked at me, he was like, what the, what are you doing? And I was like, whatever you, you want some, and he was like, no. But then the next day I was like, oh my God, my parents would be ashamed, Mm. (laughs) but that's just right. Like my conditioning and all of that. But yes, I I do have to say, I think that it was the awareness where maybe in my, in my soul that I I knew that there was going to be a problem. And that's why I stayed away from it because you know, if you look into family situations where people are coming from, um, addiction homes and, and seeing that and modeling it, because it's like 50% genetics and 50% of what you see and alcohol, alcohol plays that role. Um, it was just, it was just waiting for me Mm, and can wait for anybody, you know, it's just like, it just could be a matter of time. No one's really safe from it. Right. You know, 
Yeah. I'm, I always feel so grateful that, you know, kids are far off from me right now, but I always feel so grateful knowing that I got sober before I ever had kids. Cause I always say like, cause I grew up with a sober mom and I always feel like, oh my God, anyone who grew up with a sober mom is so lucky. So it's so nice to know, like, I'm sure for you knowing that you're like, your kid never has to see you drunk or never has to go through that. Yeah. And that, yes. And that's the thing too. I will say to you, like, I, if I didn't have those years underneath my belt of learning what healthy coping tools and mechanisms were and being really solid in my foundation, um, if I were years sooner, I mean, if I was in year three or four or even five and had a child, I think that would have broke me just for Mm. that situation. So like it is like just every day, I also say to myself, like, I'm thankful for being a sober mom and to being present because it, and you'll hear it when the day happens for you, if the day happens for you, when it does, like people will tell you, like it goes by quick and it really is. I mean, he's going to be two here, but I'm so happy for the most part because mom brain is real that I (laughs) had this time and I can remember it. Yeah you know? So, and it was never like uh, irritated with him because I was hungover. Yeah. Oh, Oh, that's so good. I know. I just, yeah. Night and day, night and day difference. I'm sure. And what's awesome too, like about you seeing your mom and my mom stopped drinking in the late eighties as well. Uh. She, um, is that you didn't know it. And I say this too, I wrote this in my book. You didn't know it, but I like at that time I had a woman showing me what it was like to be a, a sober woman. Mm-hmm. And so then I think it was very easy to be like, okay, tapped into uh my mother when I got sober to be like, yeah, do you notice like this about people who drank? Like, did you get these questions? And she's like, Yes. She was like, Courtney, I can't even tell you how many times people were like, you don't want to drink. What do you do for fun? So like this, what do you do for fun? Or what's wrong with you? If you turn down an alcoholic beverage has been going on for decades upon decades. This mm-hmm. is, this is nothing new, but that's just because of what's all, what, how alcohol is embedded and ingrained in our society. Right. Oh my God. I love that. I didn't realize your mom had gotten sober, but that's, I, I love, I think you first of all nailed it. And I say this as well, that like I grew up having it like it was modeled for me uh-huh. growing up a sober life. And like my mom very much lived her life, was social, uh-huh. didn't let like not drinking stop her. She I've watched her my whole life be like a happy person who has uh-huh. fun and enjoys life without alcohol. And it really is like that was modeled for me. So uh-huh. I think I oh I always, always, always say I would not have gotten sober as young as I did if I hadn't had that modeled for me and if I didn't have her to talk to about it. Like when uh-huh. I it's so funny what you said about like asking your mom questions, because when I got sober, like I just always knew she was sober and like, I didn't think Mm -hmm. that much about it. It was just kind of who she was my whole life. And then once I got sober, I had an infinite number of questions for her Mm -hmm. that I never would have thought to ask like, well, what was this like for you? And what did you do in this situation? And how did you like, just like all these new like things opened up for us to kind of chat about. Um, Mm -hmm. But did you kind of like, I imagine your mom must have been a kind of a support system for you when you 
when oh, you yeah. went through it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, uh, I do have a, I have a, it's a special relationship with my mom and in, in a mm-hmm. sense of, with both my parents, you know, it's, it's been ups and downs, but yes, for the most part, when I've understood boundaries and implemented boundaries with yeah. my parents and have worked through the process um, of them. Yes. She has, she has always been of support for me of living a life mm-hmm. without alcohol for sure. So, yeah. which is very nice and yeah, understood so it because there's a lot of dysfunction that you don't see when you're actively drinking. And then when you do, especially family dysfunction, right. And then, so then when you do get sober and you have somebody to talk about that with, to be like, has this always been this way? And right. it's, and it's validated and somebody else is saying like, yes, you're like, oh, okay. Okay. So right. like, I'm not crazy. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. I remember even that, like the, the validation, even from my mom of like me questioning if I even had a problem and her being yeah. like, you're mm-hmm. not crazy. I saw it like uh-huh. your experience is like, if you're, if you're thinking these thoughts and that's your answer right there kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, I'm curious, how did you start? How, and when did you start sharing, um, online about sobriety? Um, I actually started sharing online about 30 days into my sober journey. Um, okay. and it was the, it, it just happened. And, you know, I remember when I was 30 days and I was like, all right, like I was nervous, but I'm like, I'm just going to put it out there because I had to, in that process, I was like, I'm going to live the complete opposite life that I lived for 10 years. I need to do a 180. And by me not talking about it or being proud of myself for this, of to not be, to not be drinking every day, um, I'm going to talk about it. So I did. And, you know, it eventually grew and grew and grew. And then when I went back to AA that summer um, in there, that's where I created Sober Vibes. And I was like, because in these meetings, I was like, there's got to be more to this. And that was just from my point of view. I was like, I need a more empowering standpoint. And Mm. then that's how Sober Vibes was created. So, so yeah, so I've been, I've been sharing since 30 days in. Wow. Oh, mm-hmm. I love that. And so when you kind of like look at your life now at almost 11 years sober versus like kind of the 10 years that you drank, what's like, how do they compare? How has your life changed? How have you changed? Oh, I'm like, it's a complete 180, you know, mm-hmm. it's, and I think just like, cause there's so many things that I could say in there, you know, and it hasn't, the sobriety thing it's cause I always want to make this clear just because you give up, uh, you give up drinking doesn't mean that all the problems like end there because you have right. to work on that. And there are ups and downs throughout, throughout the road of recovery and sobriety. But, you know, I think just one thing I can say for sure that is different. And that is just that I actually 100% like love me. And that Mm -hmm. was not the case in my active drinking. Like I did not want to live. And today I want to live till I'm like 120. You know what I mean? So it's just, there's such a different appreciation and a lot more self-confidence because I had zero in my drinking days. Right. Oh, I love that. I relate so much. Like I think 
and I'm still pretty early in it compared to you. I'm, I'm, I'm hitting three years in November, but, um, I just like the, the self-worth, the self-esteem, mm-hmm. like that's a total 180. Like it, mm-hmm. I just find that it totally just changes how you feel about yourself, which is one of the best perks of it. I think for sure. It really is. Cause there's mm-hmm. like, cause you stop hating yourself because you're yes. not, you're not continuing to make the same I don't want to call it, it's not a mistake because it brings you to the point you are of where you're today, but you're making the same, it's, you're like stuck on repeat and you're in that cycle and you cannot get off of that ride. And when you are continuing to do the same thing over and over again, the more shame and hate that you feel about yourself, because in that cycle, you're also making very piss poor decisions because you were under the influence. Mm Mm-hmm. And that don't, and then you're like traumatizing yourself in that cycle. And again, making choices that don't make you feel good. Trust me. Yeah. There are like a lot of men I would have never slept with. (laughs) You and me both. Yeah. I would never have slept with, uh, I would say 75% of my (laughs) list. And I made those decisions because I was under the influence of alcohol. Mm Hmm. So like, there's a lot of healing and in, in that alone, you have to, mm-hmm. to work through of like forgiveness and releasing that shame around that. But yeah. Yeah. It just can't like when you're getting drunk and then you're behaving in ways that don't align with your actual like morals, mm-hmm. it can't not wear on like how you feel about yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So well said, um, Okay. What advice would you give to someone who's listening, who's either struggling with their drinking or there may be an early sobriety? Um, yeah. What kind of advice would you give to that person? Uh, well, I always say to keep going, you know, if you have a little bump in the road or relapse, whatever you want to call it for yourself, whatever, whatever feels right to you that you have not failed. It's not about pass or failing failure in the, in this process. It's about keeping, keep going and not to let it take you down a rabbit hole, not to shame yourself. You need to learn from it and move forward because Mm -hmm. you are worth it to live the life that you want to live. And if you're currently in this cycle, you can get out of it. But I think also too, that the biggest thing that I can say to anybody is to get yourself a support network, whether it's a girlfriend that you can meet for coffee, whether it's you go into the 12 step program. um, If you hire a sober coach, if you find a community like yours, just to have like-minded people around you who understand, because you will drive yourself bonkers. If you're sitting there trying to talk to your partner who doesn't have the issue that you do and you're like, well, why aren't they understanding this? You know, I mean, that's Mm -hmm. part of reason too, of why I've done my coaching programs the way I have, because I knew what it was like to sit there with somebody who didn't have a problem and they didn't understand why I would get anxiety on a Friday night. So it's just so much nicer and easier to do with a support network. Everybody can do hard things, but everybody does not have to do hard things by themselves. Yes. So Mm -hmm. true. That community aspect. I've had people ask me before, like, do you think you can do sobriety alone? And it's like, maybe, but you don't have to like why it it makes it so much easier to just be able to have that connection in that community and have someone who gets it. Mm -hmm. Um, so good. Oh my gosh. Okay. Before, before we wrap up, I want to talk about your book. Yes. I'm so excited about my book. 
Um, so my book is called Sober Vibes, A Guide to Thriving in Your First Three Months Without Alcohol. And it comes from a coach's perspective. And I walk you through those first three months of really like what to expect, what you should do. There's journal prompts in this. There's um, my Sober Vibes quotes that I put in there, coach tips, all of it. So what I like a lot about this book is that in the book, there's also the journal props. So it's, it's stuff to work through. Um, and I'm just, I'm very excited about it. It's a dream come true that I was able to write that. Oh, I can't wait to read it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I hope you like it. And then also too, um, you can find that people can go to my website, CourtneyRecover.com and order their copy, or you can go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble and get your copy online. So exciting. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. Thank you so much for coming on. This was so fun and so, so good. Um, tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, everything. <laughs> yep. So you can, I party on Instagram, um, uh, at sober vibes and you can go to my website, CourtneyRecover.com. I also have my own podcast, sober mm-hmm. vibes, and I have tons of free resources. I also have one-on-one coaching. You can apply on my website to work Uh, work with me. So yes. Amazing. Thank you so much. This was so fun. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for listening this week. Be sure to follow Courtney on Instagram, listen to her podcast, grab your copy of her book. If you enjoyed this episode, then feel free to share it with a friend or share it on social media. Rate, review, subscribe, follow me on Instagram at happiestsober and subscribe to my weekly newsletter at happiestsober.com. I hope you have an amazing week. New episodes come out every Tuesday, so I'll chat with you next week. Remember that life's happiest when you're sober. Bye. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there.